introduction, and uh, thanks, thanks to all of you for, for coming out to, to see this talk today. I hope none of you were planning on coming to see uh, Professor Inga Daniels. Like I, I was originally planning to come and see her talk, um, but uh, I was happy to, to sort of step in at the last moment uh, and share some of my uh, research with you. Um, that said, uh, again, this is sort of put together at the last moment, and, uh, and I apologize, but I'm going to probably be uh, reading a good portion of this, um, so I, I uh, apologize for that in advance. Um, but this is something that I've been working on lately, uh, and I'm really interested in, in, uh, in the discussion that we can have afterwards and any feedback that you might have, uh, anything that this sparks for you. Um, so the title of my talk is The Social Life of the Solitary, Death, Aging, Housing, and Limits of Dwelling. Now this paper is about the ways the unwitnessed death is stretched beyond the singular event of the death itself to inaugurate a social imaginary of aging, of community welfare, of the family, the home, and even the nation. Taken on its face, the death of someone who's already been largely abandoned by family and community, isolated in their home, should hardly cause a stir. Sometimes these deaths are not discovered until long after they've occurred, precisely because they don't really have any effect on uh, anyone's day-to-day -day lives. However, when understood as kodokushi, or this lonely death, solitary death, they start to stir the imagination. Kodokushi call into question the possibility of autonomy. Do I have control over how I die? What happens to me in old age? The possibility of belonging. Would anyone notice my death? Indeed, uh, they call into question the value of, of old age, right? If I live too long, will I be abandoned? Is old age a good thing? Indeed, Kodokushi, as an iconic image of the bad death, calls into question the salvific image of old age, an old age surrounded by children and grandchildren, generously bequesting one's worldly goods before peacefully joining the honored ancestors in the other world. As kodokushi becomes more and more common, these moral doubts echo into our own lives. It's estimated that in Japan right now there's about 32,000 people who die uh, unattended, unwitnessed, uh, alone in Japan each year. And in urban areas, this is, it's far from unusual. In Kyoto, where I conducted my research, solitary dwelling older people made up about 46% of all households where an older person uh, resided. While Japan has been considered an aging society for uh, a number of decades now, it's now experiencing another shift to what's being called the mass dying society, um, Tashi Shakai. Um, the number of deaths each year has been growing very quickly. Uh, it's predicted to peak around uh, 2040, when 1.67 million Japanese people are expected to die, with one in four of them dying unattended. These are hard things to sit with. What I want to explore here is how this unease produces and circulates images, stories, policies, and everyday practices and how these, in turn, condense anxieties about the broader issues of the low fertility, aging society, and the disconnected society, the country without hope or without a future. So not only does this unease produce, uh, provoke a kind of action, but that action is 
uh, in a sense, a form of mourning, I'll argue, uh, with the image of kodokshi rather than kinship ties or social position providing the basis of uh, the grievable death, using um, sort of Judith Butler's term here about gr uh, grievability. Such mourning, however, is always partial and attenuated because of the many uh, material, structural, and, and demographic uh, issues that refuse to be resolved. <clears throat> this talk will uh, progress now in five acts. Uh, first act, uh, the man with the rumpled sock. Act two, uh, dwelling in age. Uh, act three, watching over and dropping in. Act four, housing the Muen Shakai. Uh, and Act 5, Creating Grievable Deaths. Okay, why this structure? Besides the fact that we generally like talks with structure because you know where, you, where you're going when you're reaching the end. Um, one reason is to highlight the way Kodokushi emerges in what Vina Das has called, uh, after Foucault, the eventual everyday. Uh, rather than taking the narrative of Kodokushi for granted, and following the lines of flight drawn by its seemingly intelligible moral discourse, this paper tries to catch Kodokushi literally in the act. That doesn't mean that these five acts don't have their own sort of narrative to them, but uh, it's a narrative that tries to embrace an aesthetic of collage, of polyphony, uh, unfinished, uh, rough, raw edges. That's the aim, at least. Um, again, uh, Das, uh, drawing on Wittgenstein, writes that ethnography can think of the scenic as capturing a particular way in which the mode of conversation or a course of action is dramatized so that various voices are allowed expression. Such a mode of ethnography is appropriate for something like kodokushi, a death that only become, comes into being through the drama that unfolds in its wake. So let me start now with Act One, uh, The Man with the Rumpled Sock. During field work, I did most of my writing just after my kids went to sleep. And so one night, I was, uh, when I started writing this article in particular, actually it was, it was a talk for a conference, um, but I was just about to start writing this talk, and I had walked down from uh, the second floor of, of the machia I lived in, um, and I, I began to hear sirens. And I lived quite close to Kyoto University Hospital at the time, so sirens weren't any immediate uh, cause of, of alarm for me. Um, but in this case, the sirens seemed to be getting closer. Uh, and soon I saw the lights and heard the engine of the ambulance. Curiosity gave way to concern, and I hastily tumbled outside just in time to see the paramedics uh, open the back doors and disappear out of sight. The ambulance, as you see here, had stopped just outside of my house. The sirens stopped, but the lights continued revolving, illuminating the other tightly packed houses along the narrow street most of which had already shuttered their windows for the night. I was joined by about 10 other neighbors, most of whom wore similar expressions of worry. We milled about awkwardly at first, and then we slowly gathered at the back of the ambulance, talking in hushed voices. I asked the neighbor if he knew what happened, and he motioned down an alleyway where the ambulance had stopped, and he said, if it's down that street, it could be any number of people. There are a lot of old people down there, a lot of old people living alone. He stressed the final words. It was already a foregone conclusion that whoever was hurt was likely to be elderly and like to be, likely to be someone living alone. The truth was that we didn't know for sure who it was. Uh, we waited uh, for someone um, 
And finally, I found a member of the, uh, one of the self-governing uh, association members, uh, thinking that uh, maybe it was she that called the ambulance. As it turned out, it wasn't her, but she t did tell me that the person hurt was our neighbor, Okura-san, an older man who, knew, uh, who we knew whose wife uh, had been hospitalized about three months earlier. Since her hospitalization, he had been living alone. I met Okura-san before, but rarely saw him outside of his house. Two weeks earlier, I had accompanied other community volunteers to his house to deliver a lunchbox as a service to older people who were living alone. We had to ask several times for the 400 yen lunch fee because each time he would disappear into his darkened house and then he would come back with a sort of look of surprise and, and not really remembering how much it was or what he was supposed to be doing. He appeared disoriented and exhausted. I asked if he was getting along all right since his wife had been away, to which he offered a list of complaints. We listened, but none of us really knew what to do. Um, after a few moments, we just had to wish him well and move on to the next house. What could we do? There was a lot of other meals to deliver to older people living alone. Now I looked down the alleyway where the man lived and wondered, was he dead? And maybe we all thought this. Somehow one of the women in the gathering surmised that the ambulance was called by Okura-san's uh, Okura son, uh, who had been uh, by chance visiting that day. And soon Okura-san himself was carried out by the paramedics strapped to a stretcher in the ambulance, alert but confused and disheveled, his black nylon socks were bunched awkwardly at his, uh, and his feet uh, lay askew, one leg slightly bent up. This detail broke the smooth performance of the paramedic crew, who, like the puppeteers of a bunraku, seemed to disappear in their quiet and efficient movements. And I was riveted by this man with his rumpled socks. The man's son soon joined the paramedics, carrying a bright green overnight bag, briefly apologizing to all the neighbors as he climbed into the ambulance next to his father. As the, the door shut, one of my neighbors, a woman, an older woman, uh, with thick hair and large glasses, leaned over to me and said, I'm 88 years old. Isn't it terrible that people here are living too long? There are no young people in our neighborhood anymore. No young people in Japan. And then she turned around and walked back down the street before I could respond. Now, as this woman's comment suggests, even though the scene uh, in the alleyway didn't involve an actual death, we were all thinking about it, right? What the event did was it seemed to ask the question of death, the hows, the whys, the what nows, that reflect on age and relationships and our future. Now, as we waited for the paramedics to return, uh, we talked about things that anthropologists love talking about. We talked about kinship, we talked about gender relations, uh, and age, and how all of these impacted what might be going on inside, what we imagined to be going on with this death. We made sense of the scene through our shared knowledge that older people living alone could die at any moment without notice. For a night, at least, this had to be placed in abeyance. But we all knew that this was not going to be the case always. Act two, dwelling. Dwelling and the anxiety its lack presents in the form of the unwitnessed death comprises both the material uh, and existential world of a habitation, right? Both, both dwelling, being in a, in a place and, and sort of being in the world in a more existential sense. <coughs> and this resembles what uh, uh, Jared Zigan has called uh, being at home in the world. 
uh, and uh, from this he constructs what he calls an ethics of dwelling. Um, Zigon sees in dwelling the possibility of creativity and moral agency, explaining that dwelling means to be in the world such that one's being is not reduced to such a degree that being in the world becomes something like being trapped in the world. It's easy to see how disruptions to shelter, to community, citizenship, um, can create cleavages in dwelling as a form of being, just as social abandonment and political exclusion can bring dislocations even when the individual is residing in a place where they've lived all their lives. Now, Anne Allison has taken up a similar idea of dwelling uh, in her uh, recent book, A Precarious Japan, uh, and in other things she's written. She describes the ethos of post-Fortis Japan as, quote, a sense of displacement, ungroundedness, and loneliness that gets captured uh, in what circulates as the slogan of the time, without a place to call home, ibasho ganai. Sheltered without a place of belonging, older people often find themselves uncoupled from the chain of linked generations, set adrift from the embodied temporality of the life cycle. The work of mourning assumes a pre-existing sense of connection, some access to the object of mourning as someone that the mourner was attached to, someone who mattered and whose death caused a painful and incomprehensible tear in the world. But one is not undone by the death of someone who has already disappeared whose image, like a ghost, could be recognized only after the death, and even then only as a political image, a kodokushi, a case of a classified as a solitary death. Zigon cautions against taking the moral statements of ethnographic subjects at face value, um, even the moral statements around something like um, the, the solitary death, the muen shakai, but instead <coughs> He suggests that we apply what he calls a critical hermeneutics that asks uh, what the use of the concept points to. So similarly, I propose that rather than take the actions and statements about moral necessity of preventing unwitnessed deaths at face value, we ought to ask, what do these actions and statements point to? How do locally constructed narratives of kodokushi and mourning create possibilities for dwelling that preserves a sense of moral agency while making opaque the political forces that reproduce the conditions of a solitary death? Dwelling is a bit abstract here. Um, but what I want to get at here is both that kodokushi is produced by this kind of dwelling, by this sort of almost fetishization of, of the house uh, as a place of aging. Um, Paradoxically, it produces a situation where one is almost trapped in one's house, where one uh, loses touch with the world and, and the house becomes uh, almost a prison. Um, when we talk to community, uh, uh, community service people, volunteers and so forth, uh, we get a different idea uh, of the solitary death. In 2008, a report titled Aiming for Zero Independent Deaths, uh, they call it koritsushi, right, instead of kodokushi, a solitary or lonely death. Aiming for Zero Independent Deaths was released by the Association for the Advancement of Building Communities where seniors and others can live safely. The report, peppered with real-life anecdotes and national statistics, sought to outline a means not of ensuring independence in later life, but of preventing the growing problem 
uh, as they called it, the quote, growing, uh, growing social problem and quote, tragedy of independent deaths. The report begins with several past examples from one uh, Danchi uh, apartment block. So I'll, I'll just give you one example that they give in this report. It said, in the spring of 2001, the skeletal remains of a 59-year-old man were discovered. Three years had passed since his death. He died on the wooden floor of the kitchen. The neighbors all believed there was someone living there since the lights had been left on and the electric meter was running. Someone coming to collect rent discovered the man's corpse. The man divorced and lived alone. He had cut off all contact with his children and siblings. There were several of these kind of uh, very uh, terse, descriptive uh, accounts of other kodokshi. Now this is just one of these several vivid, disturbing images of kodokshi as nearly synonymous with bodies decaying in a house, while the rest of the world goes on unnoticing without them. Like campfire ghost tales, they seem to deliver a little morality along with the fright. These images propel the rest of the document into its impassioned appeal to eliminate these tragic scenes by mobilizing the community to bring and build caring relationships, uh, to greet each other, to raise community consciousness, and make watchfulness a part of, quote, everyday life. To be clear, kodokushi is not to be confused uh, with suicide or other forms of intentional self-neglect. Um, it simply means that the death occurred without the immediately, immediate presence or witnessing of others. Of course, in a sense, everyone dies alone, so why should it matter that these deaths are witnessed by others? The answer, as the official report explains, lies in the effects that Kodokushi has on the community. Now, while there are some direct financial costs borne by the community in the form of uh, mortuary services and cleaning expenses, the most damaging cost of Kodokushi from the perspective of the community welfare personnel is the weakened trust in the welfare system itself. In Japan, welfare provision is expected to be spread between different domains of dependence, but the key domain has traditionally been the family and the home as a kind of conduit for reciprocal care obligations with the community and a storehouse of resources. I take this from Inga Daniels' work on the home, actually. Um, but given the overwhelming reality of uh, broader political and demographic changes that have precipitated Kodokushi over the last 20 years, total surveillance over life and death in these communities is all but impossible. The mission of preventing Kodokushi tends to fall on the Minsei-in, uh, these sort of local citizen volunteers who are organized and they're given a small allowance by the city. Now each Minsei-in uh, I spoke with voiced a genuine concern and felt that watching over solo dwelling elders was essential to their job. Uh, we are all scared of kodokushi, one Minsei-in told me, adding that she visits older solo-dwelling adults once a month to check on each of them. But since, that's, since they might die at any time, she asked neighbors to stay, uh, stay alert and contact her if they see anything amiss. Sort of a mess in front of the house, or the, it looks like the plants haven't been watered, things like this. Skillful Minsein will be able to recruit neighbors and friends to help keep watch over these signs of possible kodokushi. Uh, another Minsein told me that she considered it her main job to look after people who are living alone uh, and to help people before they become kodokushi by dropping in and watching over them. We're not really allowed to go into homes and check on people, you see, she confessed, but 
ordinary people, well, they can do as they like. So we can ask them to check uh, on so-and-so if we're concerned. Of course, as the story of Okrasan at the beginning of the article indicates, even when it looks like someone might be very vulnerable, there's little that ordinary community members feel they can or perhaps ought to do uh, in many cases. As one Minsein put it, it's not kodokshi prevention, just watching over, mimamori, right? So people with bad luck are going to become kodokushi. But in order to make sure that doesn't happen, we watch over them. But we never know when, when it's going to happen. No matter how much we look in on them, if they don't have family around, we can't help. The immediate effects of kodokushi, the gossip and stories that circulate after the ambulance has left, do, however, affect the minsein themselves, who are the representatives and wards of the overall community health and well-being. Deaths that occur with family or care staff present are orderly, but kodokushi, as one put it, is a mess. She said, there are police and reporters arriving, and then what would people think? That minsein wasn't doing anything. So, to make sure that doesn't happen, we have to be constantly vigilant. First, we look to see if their plants are okay, if it looks like they haven't been tended in a while, or we look to see if they uh, have been getting their mail. We can't go around to everyone and be ringing doorbells, she says. Deaths that go unobserved and unnoticed are viewed as messy, disorganized, and they cast a shadow over the community efforts to instantiate connectedness and belonging. As such, they motivate and mobilize community efforts to manage the end of life. The goal is not to prevent death, but to prevent the messy death, the bad death. Act four, uh, housing the Muen Shakai. Now, most of us have heard uh, that the somewhat controversial phrase Muen Shakai. Uh, it's implied in the zero kodokushi document and the words of the neighbors at the ambulance. It practices that once formed the basis of kin and community integration have withered. Perhaps the easiest way to see this is in the scene of the death, the private home. Uh, one aspect of kodokushi that I think is very obvious but often overlooked is the fact uh, that the vast majority of these kodokushi happen within a home, within a private uh, residence. Uh, kodokushi that happen in care, people dying alone, unwatched, unwitnessed, uh, in a hospital setting or a care home or something like this, um, aren't considered kodokushi because they're sort of at least in a care setting. Um, so kodokushi almost by definition have to happen uh, within a person's home. Okay, in the UK uh, and in other countries that encourage private home ownership as a form of welfare provision for later life, um, uh, many people live alone after retirement uh, and, and to the, uh, until they die. But in Japan, the mechanisms for drawing on equity or even selling a house uh, at a rate that would support post-retirement life are rare. So home ownership doesn't really uh, equate to the kind of welfare, welfare provision uh, uh, that it does in other places. <coughs> One's house ought to be the place where one naturally dwells. Older people often remark, for example, that moving in with an, a relative would mean losing independence, burdening their family. Staying in the home and separate from one's family makes it easier to draw on long-term care services. 
as was mentioned in uh, uh, Junko Yamashita's talk uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in some of her anecdotes, uh, she brought up this fact that when family are present, it's, it can be uh, that much harder to get uh, home helpers and other kind of services covered by long-term care insurance. Um, you can pay out of pocket, of course, but uh, that can get quite expensive. Not only do older people generally want to continue living in their home, but it's also become more difficult to enter into a residential care home unless the person is living uh, with moderate to advanced dementia or other seriously disabling illness and frailty. There just isn't anywhere else to go. And I was mentioning that the, uh, the last numbers that I saw was that there's about 520,000 people, well over half a million people, uh, on a waiting lists to get into... Um, uh, residential care uh, facilities in Japan that would be covered by the long-term care insurance. Um, so it's not unusual to, to, to uh, talk to people who have to wait a year or two years or something to get a parent uh, or a spouse into a care home, um, even when the, they've lost their capacity to care for themselves or care for their loved one. But what about those like the man with the rumpled sock, who find themselves living alone and unable to care for themselves? Just as the home is the interface for access and care, when models like aging in place and community-based care are promoted, it can also quickly transform the dwellers into inmates. One case manager described things this way. He said, people are going to need help, and the services are not there. They'll go to hospital, and then they'll go to an elder hospital, Roken, uh, then to a home or to an older person's housing where you can heap on all sorts of services. Then you're in your own place, but you're imprisoned in solitary confinement. We're becoming a dying society. The population will peak at 2025 and the low fertility rate will continue, so people after 80 will start dying. There won't be the family there to watch over them, or the family will be old themselves. We're worried about what lies ahead, Sakiyuki Fuan. A lot of people voice similar concerns. Sakia Fuan. The country hopes people uh, who have dementia or are bedridden will die in the community, receiving care from local groups so they don't have to use hospitals or care facilities. So they tell the local people to do something about these people. People living alone are increasing, kolokshi and things like that. So the community is told to take care of these people, to watch over them. But he shook his head. He wasn't very hopeful about this as a solution to take care of the increasing need. One way people spoke, I spoke with encountered the dying society was through the empty houses evident on every street. These were often homes left behind by older people who had been unable to maintain them in good condition uh, for many years. All the hel uh, empty houses, that's the biggest problem, the akiya. Uh, said one local shop owner I spoke with. The children don't want it, but the parents keep thinking that they'll give it to the kids. But by the time they die, the house is worthless. The kids sometimes demolish the house and then build two or three separate houses on the, on the land. Now in 2014, the number of these akia exceeded 8 million, or 18% of the houses in Japan. The contrast between the sea of empty houses and the overflowing long-term care homes is striking, yet both are characterized by a similar inhibition of dwelling. Kodokushi and Akia, like ghosts and haunted houses, are the subjects of mourning. 
But these empty houses are not only reminders of an unfavorable housing market or a failed care system. They also seem to announce the vulnerability of older people, the broken material links between generations, even the dashed aspirations for prosperity. Kind of my homism. Akia, like Kodokushi, are made. The stories of Kodokushi cleaning crews show that these homes are anything but empty. Unpaid bills, soiled underwear, the wrappers of cheap instant noodles, all provide the forensic evidence of the social phenomenon of Kodokushi. Um, this is the house of one of my informants, um, who was a bit of a hoarder. Um, <laughs> One professional house cleaner uh, who was interviewed for a story explained, um, the majority of lonely deaths are people who are kind of messy. It's the person who, when they take something out, they don't put it back. When something breaks, they don't fix it. When a relationship falls apart, they don't repair it. These are homes that bear the stain of a person beyond dignity, beyond dwelling. Like the police response after Kodokushi, empty houses continues to produce political and existential consequences for the community and those charged with watching over it. The Akiya bring into focus the centrality of material forces uh, in Zigan's ethics of dwelling. Akiya are not simply the reverberation of Kodokushi narratives, the visible traces of the unwitnessed event. They are, I argue, at the center of the anxieties regarding lonely deaths in an aging society. I don't think we can separate really this uh, phenomenon of Kodokushi uh, from the Akiya and the kind of economic and political background they are creating uh, these empty houses everywhere. Um, and I think in a way, the discourses on Kodokushi have, have ignored that or put that aside, um, that, that connection aside, um, and it hasn't been dealt with. And meanwhile, these Akiya are multiplying all over these haunted houses. The psychological and existential sense of home as a staging ground for being at home in the world is inseparable from its materiality and the broader political and economic changes in Japan that seem to propel older adults into uh, the waiting trap of their own homes. Many solitary deaths, unwitnessed deaths, do not become kodokushi. If a death is unwitnessed, but in a hospital, it's not kodokushi, since one is in a care setting. A geriatric nurse I spoke with told me that uh, even when someone had died there, staff would call the ambulance and the paramedics would go through the motions of trying to save the person uh, or examine them as if they were barely alive until they arrived at the hospital and then would be pronounced dead. One doctor told me, uh, a lot of people call the hospital at the last minute to avoid a big scene. My advice is that if someone dies at home, you should call your, a doctor you trust. If I get a call, sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll tell them to hold on and clean the body, and then I'll come later and do the examination and take care of the paperwork. That way the family can avoid dealing with the police. That happens a lot. In examples like these, bureaucratic procedures and documentation themselves lend to a process of emplacing and implotting of death uh, to produce conformity to both legal requirements and to a narrative of dwelling. Uh, if the image of Kodokushi is the messy home, the bureaucratic procedures like these uh, tidy up the death and they make it in some ways grievable or, or somehow legible. Okay, now I'll, I'll come to my conclusions. I do want to leave some time for discussion on these five acts. Um, this paper examined the ways uh, care and particularly community-based uh, watching over Mimamori are employed to imagine the unwitnessed deaths of solo-dwelling older adults. 
I've argued that the construction of Kodokushi narratives uh, in Minsein reports and death certificates and other kinds of documents, in the cleaning rituals, in everyday gossip, provides an opportunity for mourning that restores the possibility of an ethics of dwelling. Zigon's ethics of dwelling, however, raises questions about the materials and the infrastructures that people dwell within. Uh, people who become kodokshi are defined paradoxically by their inability to fully dwell, uh, in, in Zigon's sense of the word, and their inability to do anything but dwell, lingering on uh, in, alone in their home. Houses are not the cause of kodokshi any more than automobiles are the cause of traffic accidents. However, their place in the economic and the political landscape of Japan's history since at least the mid-20th century has intensified their significance as places of hope and aspiration, care and community and belonging. And I think current discourses about aging in place, staying in one's suminareta um, ie, a place where you, you've sort of gotten used to uh, living, um, and the, the focus on preventative, kaigo uh, yobo, uh, uh, of sort of preventing care, uh, and staying in one's home, staying independent in one's home, goes along with these ideas of aspirations, um, a sort of my homism, but now applied to old age. The narratives and images of Kodokushi exist alongside those of empty houses that haunt an aging post-bubble Japanese society, like the brittle husks of some great cicada. Both point to narratives of social and political dislocation, disconnection, and to the failures of dwelling, or at least its limits. It is difficult to picture what kinds of changes the next decades of Japan's aging society will bring. There's simply never been a society where up to 40% of the population are over 65. Uh, and many are expected to live on into their 90s and past 100. And this is where Japan is currently headed. But along with this, the death rate will also continue to rise, as will the numbers of kodokushi, since institutions will not have the capacity or resources. Japan will continue to be a place for, work of uh, for the work of mourning, where images uh, like kodokushi are playing a central role. Throughout my own narration of Kodokushi, the solitary subject of Kodokushi has remained quiet. Perhaps it was this silence that led to his invisibility before death. He didn't communicate, didn't know how to narrate his own ending. ending. We're left to imagine his fate as ours, or as Japan's. We're left with a glimpse of an oddly rumpled sock disappearing into the back of an ambulance. And then we are left with ourselves. Thank you.